Welcome to Meetings with Remarkable Educators. This podcast is brought to you in part by you, our friends and supporters at patreon.com slash remarkableeducators. Each podcast is a dialogue between me, Ba Lovemore, and an educator who sees the greatness in their students and touches the whole of their being. These educators defy generalizations, so here's a little bit about what they've done and how I know them. My name is Josette Lovemore, and I'm standing in today for Ba Lovemore, who just recently went through a surgery and uh, won't be able to do today's podcast. So today's guest, Ali Ronder, is a master of education and distinguishes herself as a community leader who serves on numerous boards of directors of alternative schools and nonprofit groups that support health and social justice. She's a three-time Texas State University appointee to the Clinton Global Initiative, and Allie's learning and teaching experiences span the range of conventional and alternative education approaches. We are so lucky to have Allie with us today as she talks about the multitude of ways that she supports alternative and holistic and relationship-based education approaches. I'm really excited to have Allie with us today. Welcome, Allie Ronder, and thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast of Meetings with Remarkable Educators. We so appreciate the work that you do with schools and alternative Um, relationship-based, holistic education, and a wide variety of different schools. Um, Tell us a little bit about your work um, in promoting and helping schools get started, stay running, and be thriving. Well, for the last couple of decades, I've been working in the alternative education field um, out of Austin, Texas, and I had the great pleasure of launching a nonprofit organization to support Um, Central Texas educators, uh, alternative educators, uh, find connectivity and resources for the kind of work that that we're doing down here. Um, Had a opportunity to help save a failing alt school and uh, reformat what they were doing. Got to launch um, an alt school that was a really beautiful uh, expression of outdoor education, natural learning relationships, developmental continuum, uh, assessments, et cetera. And now I'm working for the Natural Learning Foundation, uh, launching and supporting even more alternative schools uh, here in the Central Texas area. That is so awesome. I, I don't know anybody else who does what you do, and I think what you do is so important. Full disclosure, Ali and I are colleagues, and we met um, about five years ago, I think it was, when you were um, uh, looking for people to train your teachers in child development and learned about our developmental approach, natural learning relationships, and called me up and said, I want you to tr- uh, do teacher training at at the school I'm working with. And that's how we uh, originally met each other, right? That's absolutely true. In fact, your influence even preceded my calling you and asking about uh, your availability to help train our staff in the natural learning relationships, but um, actually started when I read one of your um, earlier writings uh, around developing whole children. And the closing paragraph in that uh, academic paper then became the mission statement 
for this um, idea for a school that I had at the time, which then translated into the actual mission of the real school that I asked you to help me train. <laughs> that is so awesome. Yeah. And I just I just admire the work that you're doing, keeping um, schools that are not in the mainstream, not traditional education, keeping them afloat, helping them thrive. Do you set a difference between um, holistic education, relationship-based education, and other types of alternative education? Well, certainly uh, relationship-based education is a facet of holistic education. Uh, holistic education, as it has evolved over the years, has taken many, many forms, but I do not believe that you can um, be in the practice of holistic education without a relationship-based orientation between mm -hmm. uh, the learners uh, in any school or learning environment. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly, that relationship is at the core of holistic education. You know, this is not an easy field to be in, and there are certainly a lot of challenges that you must face as you help these young schools get started. Um, most people who come to the field of education, I think, come from a passion of the heart and a lot of caring. And then when all of the practicalities of actually starting a school hit them, I'm wondering what kinds of challenges you face and um, how you deal with them. Well, that's specifically what I I'm doing these days is helping these um, fledgling organizations that are typically, you know, um, run by a pretty charismatic, passionate uh, director. Um, she's found some pretty amazing uh, staff to help her, but there's typically not enough bandwidth to fully achieve um, the mission. Um, with all that there is to do. And I've seen far too many beautiful programs close in the first three years of existence because um, of just a, a lack of, of bandwidth. So my job is to, to come in and uh, help to define uh, what needs to happen and to provide some support ad hoc. Um, most organizations don't have enough uh, money set aside to hire a full-time administrator or development director or grant writer or social media coordinator or back-end organizer, uh, but they can typically fund smaller size projects. And so um, to that end, that's, that's what I do to help provide capacity building support for these tiny schools as they grow up uh, into themselves and are able to fulfill the mission um, internally. And then that allows me more free time to help that, other schools. <laughs> that is so fantastic. Now, I know that you studied education leadership and school administration for your master's at Texas State University. But I also know that you're not in this for the money. So what drives you? What brings you there? Well, uh, you know, interestingly enough, this, this whole field uh, for me uh, started with the birth of my uh, first child. I do have two adult daughters now. And uh, my my first daughter was uh, a self-starter in, in every way and absolutely a self-directed learner. And when 
we got to the point where it was time for her to go to middle school. I was working for a Reggio Emilia-based charter school here in Austin, and I was supposed to be going to the school fair representing the school, and she was going to uh, attend with me as a graduate of the program to talk about how she enjoyed the experience. Instead, what happened was we went went to the school fair, and she went around and interviewed basically every principal uh, and um, school leader that was there uh, at the fair, uh, trying to find the right fit for her. And she came back and she said, you know, Mom, I didn't find the school that's going to empower me, but I did find these two couples who have moved to Austin recently, and they want to start a Sudbury school. And um, I said, okay, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) but um, that sounds great. And she said, well, I really want your permission to rise up. And I said, well, of course, honey, you know, that's what I'm here for is to help you rise up. And she said, well, you and your colleagues may consider that dropping out because I'd like to leave the school that I'm currently at. And I would like to endeavor to spend the next year or two to help to establish a Sudbury um, school here in Austin, Texas. And um, it's going to take a lot of time and energy, and I need your support. And oh, um, awesome, yeah. So she started the whole thing for me. She, in fact, put together a uh, annotated bibliography for me that informed um, my work at the um, doctoral level at Texas State a few years later, and helped to introduce concepts such as self-directed education and democratic education um, into the conversation uh, at the university where I was in a program with 25 other administrators and superintendents for throughout Central Texas and, and really um, helped to provide a, an education for them, <laughs> not just myself. <laughs> That is so awesome. It's so often it's our children that bring us new learning. It's it's the theme of my work, um, how we grow with our kids. But it's so awesome that your eldest daughter brought this to you in a certain kind of way. And then you branched out into so many, 20 years of, of work in the field of education. I'm sure you've learned so much over that time. Certainly. And without my daughter, I would never have learned about um, Alternative uh, Education Resources Organization, the International Democratic Education Conference. I would not have been uh, introduced to the work of of Zoe Redhead or um, A.S. Neal. I would certainly never have thought uh, about creating a learning environment where children were completely autonomous in um, decision-making process around what they want to learn and how their work product is going to um, manifest. Right, like (laughs) in democratic schools. So what's your daughter doing now? Is she uh, still in the field of education? Uh, She's not in the field of education. She's a 24-year-old living her life. She's got a boyfriend and a a cat, and uh, she continues (laughs) to to be a self-directed learner, and uh, her work is in the healing arts. Her primary um, life goal is to um, found an intentional living community where um, moms can practice attachment parenting and children can be um, raised in a, a democratic, unschooling environment that has a fully functioning, uh, uh, self-sustaining governance structure and (laughs) commerce. So wonderful. Yeah. All of this is going to take some, some time and, um, and she thank goodness she's got that. (laughs) That's fantastic. (laughs) And is your younger daughter also involved in, um, relationship-based education schools? Interestingly enough, um, you know, 
I tell parents constantly when they come to me and they're looking for the right fit for their child that, you know, it, it's very likely that their children may not um, have the same needs. You know, um, the, the family may have different needs than the child. And it is sometimes not possible to get everyone's needs met at the same venue. And so while my oldest daughter was absolutely ready to be in a self-directed learning environment and help to be the founder of uh, the Clearview Sudbury School, which is now in its 10th year of existence here in Austin, um, my my youngest was not uh, necessarily a, a self-directed learner. Uh, she did enjoy uh, middle school and high school in alternatively um, run um, schools that did practice uh, some democratic participatory um, uh, form of governance for the kids, uh, but she she's not um, she's just not an academic, and she doesn't really uh, dig the whole school scene. And she thinks that um, her older sister and I uh, drank too much of the Kool Aid. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you bring up parents, and that raises maybe think of uh, the parents that we worked with in Summa Academy, and and all the parents in uh, who are looking at educational options for their children. And so often, parents get worried about education, and are their children going to measure up? Are their children going to meet the standards? Is um, relationship-based education going to meet their children's needs and prepare them for the real world. Do you have ways of, of, um, of encouraging parents or of helping them understand that these choices don't hinder their children's progress but actually aid their children's well, progress? Well, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I've, I've worked with hundreds of parents over the last several years, and most of them come to me um, because th there's something that's not going right for either their child or their family um, at their current school environment. Rarely do parents just go around school shopping and looking for alternatives when things are really working for them where they're at. And so often when parents come to me, they're in some um, state of distress and uh, they have some sense for what is not working um, at their child's current school. And it's my job to help them parse out uh, what are the most uh, important aspects of a school environment to them and uh, to help uh, them to feel empowered that they do uh, have what they need to be able to find and provide that uh, kind of education for their children. Uh, the first place that I always uh, start with uh, is, uh, is their child happy? And what aspects of their current schooling uh, environment they believe are contributing to their child's uh, lack of engagement or happiness. Uh, when children are in environments where they feel supported and heard and they're afforded some agency uh, to determine what they're studying, when they're studying it, and how their work product is being um, received, uh, those those kids tend to feel more engaged and um, more, more happy in, in the process. And so um, that's the, one of the foundational elements of any of the schools that I've uh, helped to, to launch or design is that the, the kids at the center of this entire process are um, not kept 
out of the conversation or the, we're not having conversations just about the kids, but we're involving them in the conversation, which is in how we enact this relationship where we afford them agency and we give them voice and we respond to what they are saying and feeling. That's awesome. And I know that you not only encourage parents to feel comfortable in the ways that you just talked about, but also encourage them to participate in their children's classrooms in in more ways than just, you know, copying things or stuffing envelopes. But could you talk a little bit about all the ways you encourage parents to engage in the classroom activities uh, in the school? Sure. So, you know, there's lots of buzzwords um, that that parents hear, uh, one is the homeschool connection and how important it is for parental involvement and the homeschool connection to be strong. Um, however, you know, since the 1930s, um, when we had almost a quarter of a million school boards in the, in the United States, um, you know, we had um, access to the decision-making process about what was happening in our actual schools. Today, we have fewer than 15,000 school boards. And so um, over the last just less than 100 years, we've seen a deep erosion in any real way that parents can actually have agency and involvement in the schools. And those who do have the time and um, the interest and ability to be able to spend time at the school are often asked to file books in the library or stuff folders for Thursday homework take-home. And they're not really given any real um, function within the classroom structure. And so uh, we, we've we never allowed parents to just come and sit at the back of the classroom and just observe or take notes of what's happening. I find that to be a little creepy. Um, what we would rather have is a parent come <laughs> in and participate in what's happening in the classroom. So if they're studying Chinese New Year, for example, they can come in and they can read a story to the children around Chinese New Year or show some um pictures of the trip that they just took to China, or um, bring in a friend who is a Chinese chef or uh, author or world traveler, and they can then have a fundamental role in what's happening in real time, what's really relevant in that classroom. And the children begin to recognize these other adults as additional helpers, additional people that they can go to and, and receive support from. This is real homeschool connection. When the children see the parents in the room doing things that support the real work that the children are doing, and it's not just this um, uh, this place where parents pop in, drop off, and then take off again, but but really engenders full participation of every parent who can and wants to um, spend time with us and build that community. That's so important. And there's so much research out now that parent involvement on the level that you're talking about leads to uh, much better educational outcomes. It's really awesome. It's teaching story time. Briefly, teaching stories invite us to see the world with a new perspective, often featuring a wise fool or trickster animal. They can be humorous, with many shades of meaning shining through the story. 
I have told teaching stories for the past 40 years with great effect, not only for the listener, but for me, as I have learned so much about myself through recounting these stories. Today's teaching story is entitled, Never Enough. The management of a large factory called all the workers together for an important meeting. We've been able to mechanize the whole factory and robots will now be taking over everyone's job. There's no more need for you to come to work. A buzz of concern spread among the workers, but the manager continued. This is so profitable and so successful that you'll all be able to keep your full salary, your full benefits, and even have lunch in the cafeteria anytime that you desire. While the wise fool was the union and labor representative for the entire workforce. And he stepped forward and said, is there anything else? And the manager said, no, nothing else. You just have to show up on Fridays to collect your paycheck. Not every Friday, the wise fool said. Let's have some fun interpreting this teaching story. Become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash remarkableeducators and you have access to our detailed comments on how this story applies to education and parenting. Of course, that's just our perspective. The fun comes with community dialogue as the many shades of the teaching story come alive. See you there. So going back a little bit now to running a school and administrators of a school, what are uh, some of the ways that you can, um, that you see in your work with uh, administrators or other people who want to start schools? What are the steps that you put them through or you help them walk through, walk alongside them as they go through some of their challenges? Maybe you could outline some of those for our listeners and um, help them through some of these steps. Sure. So um, that is one of the the main things that I, I do for the Natural Learning Foundation is if a, an individual is interested in launching a school or an organization, uh, they can come to me and I will happily spend a few hours listening to them um, and their ideas. Uh, if it does sound that their, their concepts are uh, rooted in um, similar philosophy that I have around uh, children and um, educational models, then I agree to work really as a, as a doula, as a guide, as a, as a coach to help them jump the hurdles from conceptualizing this learning environment to um, having a fully enrolled running program. And so it always starts with that conversation and just a few hours of listening. Then I help them to take this nebulous idea and root it in theoretical um, framework that um, that they have come with but haven't necessarily kind of uh, tied it all together and to create um, the business plan. I help them to either file the 1023 for their nonprofit uh, status or to uh, set up their LLC 
And from everything from setting up the accounting processes to the um, back-end documents like the employment manual and the community handbook to planning the professional development sequence for their staff to planning the orientation process all the way down to an authentic assessment tool um, and a developmental continuum framework to guide their teachers after I've left uh, the organization and they can be um, completely self-sufficient. That is so valuable to guide them into integrating a developmental perspective into education. What a wonderful contribution you're making there. Near and dear to my heart, of course. <laughs> and it's not just for the the kids. That That's one of the things that I've learned um, over the last couple of decades is that if we're saying that whatever we're saying is good for the kids, we ought to be able to apply that for the adults in, in the learning community as well. And so if we are using a developmental learning continuum to look at the growth and development of the learners, mm-hmm. I believe that this is an approach that should also be applied to the staff um, as well as the parents. And so if you're looking at parents on a developmental continuum or a learning continuum, you can recognize that there are supports that they might need in the form of um, parent education opportunities. And I can help Mm -hmm. to bring those to bear on the campus. With regard to Mm -hmm. the staff, um, most teachers are they're evaluated on most campuses in a snapshot summative manner where an administrator will come in in 20 minutes to two hours, take some notes, and uh, give an evaluation of where that teacher is. And this data is typically just used to to either um, renew a contract or fail to renew a contract with a teacher the next year, which is a huge missed opportunity. Because our greatest resource in any school are our educators who've dedicated their lives, years of their time and resources to um, studying um, how to be a great educator. And then when you get in the classroom and you're working with actual children, half of everything that you picked up out of books at the university level is completely irrelevant. And then the other half of it doesn't actually apply to the children that you have in the room. And so Mm -hmm. it is a huge learning opportunity. And if we are not helping those staff to identify where they're learning Um, edge is, and then subsequently providing professional development resources to support that growth in the future, we're really failing to develop our greatest resource in our schools. And so I use a a formative approach of teacher evaluation where I work with a teacher um, to help them to identify what are their strengths, where are their um, areas for growth, and then working as a reference librarian of sorts to curate um, resources to help them, uh, you know, fill in those, those gaps to only be stronger, better educators at the end of that cycle. It's so important because teacher burnout is one of the hazards of the occupation. And giving teachers positive support, it's such a tender profession. So many teachers come into the profession out of love and care for children and wanting to nurture and and provide educational opportunities for children. And they're if they're not given a lot of nurturing and support, they're on the front line working day in and day out. And the kind of support that you're suggesting is essential 
to keeping them fresh and alive and not and to avoid burnout. It's so very valuable for teachers um, to be um, supported on a positive note, not always on a what they're doing wrong note. So that's a really important contribution, I feel. Yeah, we speak about accountability measures constantly, but um, they're rarely applied to districts and states. Um, mm -hmm. When you work in a micro school environment, you can really provide that kind of expectation for everyone, 360 in the process, and accountability of an administrator or a school owner to their staff and to providing um, profound and relevant training um, and to support their emotional bandwidth and, and, mm -hmm. and their skill set growth is absolutely paramount and um, not really found in too many um, learning environments. I agree. And likewise, how do you support the administrators who are day in and day out dealing with the logistics and the paperwork and the operations of the organization? And what kinds of opportunities do you suggest for the administrators? Well, and that's that's actually the reason why we created the Education Transformation Alliance uh, in Austin almost a decade ago. It was a, about a, a dozen alternative education directors here in Austin um, that were all experiencing the same issues, you know, the same highs, the same lows, the same needs, but yet we're all functioning in these little micro environments. And none of us had the economy of scale to be able to, you know, provide um, some of the more expensive solutions um, or more timely solutions to the problem. So we created the Education Transformation Alliance as a mechanism to provide support, access, and awareness to all the alternative educators, both administration and staff so that we could then pool together our resources, our time, energies to be able to bring in powerful professional development or uh, create a lending library or create a school fair so that we could generate better um, enrollment for for all of the school, um, all of the schools in the in the network, but um, by and large, focusing on creating a culturally responsive um, environment, both within and without um, the administration of your of your campus, is I think critical. Um, principal preparation programs um, don't really exist uh, at the at the university level for uh, preparing. Uh, administrators who wish to um, do this type of work, there's there's not a whole lot um, of support on a national level. So uh, we decided to create a local solution, given that we've got dozens of alternative schools here in Austin. How awesome! And rather than competitive a relationship with the with other schools, you have a cooperative relationship with other schools, and thus uh, relationship based education approaches is. is right up through the administration. One of the, that's a beautiful thing. I don't know many uh, cities that are doing that, and you've, you've really brought that forward in Austin, which is really awesome. And that's branched out into uh, an endeavor that, that you and I and Ba and um, uh, Nishi and Terry have all joined together to form an international council for accrediting relationship-based education um, and schools. The, um, we call it ICARE, uh, International Council for Accrediting Relationship-Based Education. 
And um, you approached me just, uh, Bon and I, that's actually how you met Ba, was when you invited us to join your small group to really form that, um, that approach to accrediting small schools. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. So, um, you know, I, I've come across problems that kind of stick in my craw and then I ruminate on them for quite a while. And then for some reason, I tend to always get connected with the right people around that time for generating a solution <laughs> for, the, for that <laughs> problem. And so over the years, as an administrator of alternative schools, I have run across this, um, this concern where parents will come in and they will ask um, at the interview process, well, is your school accredited? And 98.9% of the time, um, you know, when I tell the parents, no, um, we we have we do not we're not accredited. What accrediting agency would you like for us to be um, affiliated with or to work with? I, I I am met with a blank stare. Most parents understand that accreditation is desirable, but they do not understand why it's desirable, and so. Um, that, that was a recurring theme, parents really wanting uh, the school to be accredited. And so then I would go further and investigate, so what, what elements of the accreditation process are most important to you that we participate in? And again, most parents um, did not know uh, anything about the, uh, the process. And so I set about... Um, learning what is the accreditation process, who's in charge, who makes the the, the calls, and to what end it, does this whole process um, come to? Like, why, why do schools want to participate? What are the benefits of participating in an accrediting process? Um, many of the existing programs that I discovered um, focused primarily on um, academics and um, codification of the process at the school, but uh, did not necessarily look at relationship-based education, did not have mm -hmm. um, a space for analyzing um, or collecting data or analyzing the data around the types of relationships that exist in a school environment and how those can be supported and expanded. And because this is such an incredibly um, integral part of um, any type of school environment that I would want to participate in, that became the central focus for me, uh, is finding a, an accrediting program that would actually um, fill this this niche. Well, I never found one, and so I decided to circle back around to some of the thought leaders who um, existed already uh, in that field, and that just brought me right back directly to you and Ba. <laughs> That's so awesome. And it, it's going to benefit the schools in so many ways. They're going to be able to use it to apply for grants, offer teachers retirement benefits in Texas, cultivate new customers, parents, students. Um, translates. It's going to translate into a positive budget bottom line. It's going to allow for consumer protection and customer confidence. So many great things could come out of um, offering 
these kinds of schools and accreditation process. Um, it enhances reputation and recognition. Um, and of course, then there's professional development opportunities to stay current and up-level their practices. I just think there's so many wonderful opportunities available that uh, can come out of this for the schools that engage it. It's really awesome. Well, I, we've, um, do you want to add to that? or? Well, or I just wanted to say more? that I'm really excited to be able to, to work with um, Nishiandra and Terry Sperry and uh, both of you on this project because uh, all of the solutions that I've been um, involved in have been really very local. Although I've gone to the IDEC conferences and the Arrow conferences, um, all of the uh, the takeaway I've enacted locally. And so this will actually give us a mechanism to be able to take the work that we've done with the Education Transformation Alliance um, and mm -hmm. all of the schools in our in our Austin network and really expand this on a, on a national level and then an international level, which will help to synergize these schools who prioritize the concept of relationship-based education and uh, should result in expanding um, not just our connectivity, but our collective bandwidth uh, to be able to um, push this relationship-based uh, education agenda um, into the forefront of um, the parents of the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not just a it's not just a local concern, right? It's an international uh, concern, and we have seen over the last couple of decades um, the the backlash and and ramifications of the high stakes testing movement that has impacted yes. um, children globally. And so the solutions must be um, also global as well. I think that's awesome. And of course, you know, you and I could talk for hours on the value of relationship-based education, but I still get parents approaching me today who will talk to me about, you know, my our family just benefited so much from some of the things that we learned uh, when you were running the school at SUMA. It's just pretty uh, amazing to out of, you know, randomly not know the effects you have on people and then you know, you find out a year later that uh, family's still being positively affected. And children learn tremendous amounts from having positive relationships with their educators. It's very, very important. It's so true. I, I often um, tell parents that uh, that children are super aware and they're watching everything that we do. And, That's right. you know, the buzzword in education is modeling the behavior, right? And and for, for the most part, the adults that I know, at least in this country, are running around over-caffeinated, dehydrated, malnourished, under-rested, <laughs> and um, aren't really modeling what it looks like to be uh, an emotionally resilient, well-rested, um, mm. you know, adult in the world. And so the more opportunities we have as grown-ups, as teachers and educators and parents to um, to see that um, modeled by the other adults in our environment, the more support we feel to be able to prioritize mm -hmm. those things. And that translates into providing the kids with real-time models of what it looks like to be an emotionally resilient, healthy adult uh, in a in a crazy, fast-paced world. You bet. 
we're 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 just uh, beginning to run out of time here, and I like I said, I just love talking to you. I, I just want to ask you before we we make any closure. Um, I really want to know if you have any last words or maybe a comment or something that I haven't covered that you wish we had covered, or anything you want to say uh, to our audience to leave them with. How what would you like to say? Well, I think the main thing. Um, that if I if I have the ear of of interested parents is that um, you have the opportunity to um, provide an educational experience for your child, whether it's homeschool, unschool, democratic school, Montessori, Waldorf. Um, it it really doesn't matter um, what ultimately you end up choosing that that works for your family, right? As long as it's working for your family. Trust yourself, but mostly listen to and trust your children when they come to you and they express their unhappiness. And um, I believe that the things that we can learn from listening to our children's um, concerns and observations around their current learning environments uh, can really lend itself to um, the work that that you, um, Josette and Ba, do, which is helping adults and children to heal and become um, emotionally resilient through relationship, through listening, mm. through working together and honoring each other as growing humans. Mm-hmm. And just understanding that there are so many ways to co-create educational opportunities for our children. That's right. From 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 these kinds of schools that you grow and support so well, to pick and choosing um, homeschooling classes, uh, opportunities in homeschool collectives. There's so many great ways that children can get educated and receive their education from people they love and not stressful situations. That's right. So I, I love the work you do. I'm so grateful that you're supporting families and school administrators, which really need that kind of um, backup. Um, it's so awesome. Well, thank you so much, Allie, for spending this time with us and, and um, sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Josette. And um, great thanks to Ba for um, putting together the uh, Remarkable Educators podcast and bringing together this really amazing resource for parents and educators throughout the world to learn that you're not alone. There are a lot of us that are doing this work. And um we have a voice. Meetings with Remarkable Educators is brought to you in part by our friends and supporters on Patreon. If you enjoy our podcast and want access to enriching gifts for parents and educators, please visit patreon.com slash remarkableeducators. That's all one word, Remarkable Educators, and consider becoming a patron. Your support means the world to us and will allow us to continue this essential project. Our sound engineer is Dimitri Young. Our webmaster is Nathan Young. And transcription and production is by Josette Lovemore. All podcasts are transcribed with show notes and can be found at remarkable-educators.com. This is Bob Lovemore reminding you that Holistic relationships with children 
leads to joy and self-knowledge with the adults in their lives. With respect for you and for children everywhere, see you next time.